In the earliest known published text, which was called a quarto back then in 1609, a 45-year-old William Shakespeare wrote, I am to wait, though waiting so be hell. Now, of course, it would be wrong to belittle words that were arrested from deep in the soul of one of humanity's greatest ever poets, especially as, in this case, the words refer to an unfulfilled promise of love. However, as he wrote them roughly 409 years, three months and two days before this pesky international break, you've got to ask yourself, what the hell did Shakespeare know? Welcome to episode 6 of Cop On, you glorious velveteen love puffs. My name is Owen, I'm back from holiday, and I have put together a show for you today that I hope is as gripping as a baby's hand on an adult's finger. But before we do what Arctic explorers do to sleeping bags and jump right in there, first I must give a massive trumpeting shout-out to our very first Patreon supporter, Jeepers. Thank you so much, Jeepers. I cannot possibly say how much I appreciate it. If you would also like to support us, please head over to patreon.com forward slash cop on podcast. Should you pledge as little as one tiny US dollar per month, not only will I give you a shout out in the next episode, but once we reach our goal of 500 patrons, you can win some amazing prizes in our special draw, including an official LFC shirt. Head over there, patreon.com forward slash cop on podcast. It's actually cheaper than chips. So for this section of the show, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by David Power, and we're going to go through Liverpool's best ever starts to the Premier League. We've got 12 points for four matches. Obviously, you know that. You've seen the table. You've been looking at nothing else this whole international break. I know you. I know you. I'm inside your head. In 93-94, we got 12 points. That was our equal best start. We got 12 points from five matches. Win, 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 loss, win. 93-94. Can you... Can your mind go back that far, David? Do you remember anything about 93-94? Where were you? What were you doing? I was in Ireland. I was listening to Pulp. No, sorry, not Pulp. uh, Blur. End of a century. And, yeah, I can remember. I can remember very well. Bad memories. Bad memories. Dark times. Dark times. How our musical tastes change with age. Um... We we beat Sheffield Wednesday 2-0 on the opening day at Anfield. Have you any idea of our starting lineup on that beautiful day? Oof, um, let me see. I'll go for Grobler. Correct. Uh, in defence, Razor Ruddock. Razor Ruddock, our new signing, was there. Mark Wright. Mark Wright was there. Um, then I'm a little bit scarce. In the middle, uh, we had Mark Walters on the wing. We had Mark Walters on the wing. Good call. Um, up front, you had um, Ian Rush and Clough's son, the number nine. Number seven, he was, yeah. The number nine, he, as he was known by his father. Okay. The number nine, old big head, yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, Nigel Clough. Nigel Clough, yes, son of Brian. 
he was number seven. He was also another new signing that, that summer. Um, yeah, in central midfield, one of your compatriots, an Irishman, hard as nails, underrated player. Uh, Ray Houghton or Ronnie? No, not Ray Houghton. Ronnie Whelan. Ronnie Whelan, good call. And uh, two more players you haven't got uh, in midfield. Uh, one guy never missed a penalty that I saw. I only saw him take up about three penalties. He scored them all. Large lad from the north somewhere. North oh, of England, yes. North, north of Scotland. Yes. Uh, never of missed Scotland. a penalty. Um, uh, well, X-Hammer. The three that I saw... Uh, no, no, no. He's he's an adopted Scouser. He's not from Liverpool, but he's he now talks with a wonderful Scouse accent. Okay, I'm at a loss. The accent. I'm at a complete Beer loss. belly. Beer belly. Great passer. Not Julian Dix. <laughs> Definitely not Julian Dix. Jan Mulby. Of course. Jan Mulby over here. And, and the other one is a Scottish guy. The Great guy. Dane. Scottish guy uh, in midfield. He started as a defender, but you know when you're playing a defensive, I don't know. He, he was he was kind of good at everything. Scottish guy. Um, now he's a pundit for ESPN, and I disagree with pretty ah, much everything yes. he now says. I know who he is because I disagree with everything he says as well. Okay. And his name is Steve Copper. No, Steve Nickel. Steve Nickel, exactly. Very good. And we had um, um, a guy from Norway at left back. <gasps> Great crosser of the ball. A great crosser of the ball. Give That's me all more. he could do. Give me more. Uh, his first name is Of the Dump. Of the Dump. <laughs> did, did you ever read Stig of the Dump? No, no I'm okay. afraid that okay. I missed that part of my education. Okay, sorry, that was a, that was a classic children's book where I'm from. Uh, Stig of the Stig Inga Bjornaby. Of course, yeah, I, I had him raised from my memory in a special operation. And the last player uh, at right back, Rob. Jones. Rob Jones, of course. Fabulous right back. Do you remember who our manager was? Yep, I do. At the beginning of the season, it was Tom Selleck. <laughs> Graeme Souness. Graeme Souness, indeed. Yes. Graeme Souness was sacked on the 29th of January 1994. So after that great start, 12 points out of 15, he got sacked because our form fell off the proverbial cliff. Uh, and we ended up losing to Bristol City in the FA Cup. And then I remember this is one of the only times of my life as a 14-year-old I was, I actually wanted Liverpool to lose against Bristol City. And I'm a little bit ashamed, but I knew that the writing was on the wall for Souness and he could be sacked. And it was like, oh, exactly, exactly, he yeah. should have gone a year yeah. before. This was euthanasia. This is football euthanasia. Football euthanasia. Remember the somebody said I was listening to the brilliant Anfield rap earlier today. Someone was saying we lived through the Hodgson years, right? <laughs> you remember the Hodgson years? The Hodgson years were actually six months. He was he was in charge of Liverpool for six months. It felt like forever, and that was, that was the first time I, I didn't like a Liverpool manager. Um, since Souness. Uh, but anyway, sorry, Graham Souness. Liverpool legend, wonderful yes. midfielder. Uh, yes. Apparently, but before my time. Knows the club through and through. He, he does. bleeds Liverpool and why he should not have been uh, made coach. Because all those canards that are never true mean nothing. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so yes, um, so that season was was very sad. Uh, it was also sad because we signed Julian Dix, uh, and we also uh, bade a very teary farewell to the old standing cop. Um, 
Do you remember the cop before? Have you just seen it on TV? Like the stand? I, I rem- I, I've seen it on TV when in terms of like, I remember it on TV. I remember it in the 80s. And I remember in the early 80s when I was like four or five, I come from a town full of Liverpool nuts. And I remember just the sheer, uh, menace is not the word, but just the, the the Saturday afternoon, the swilling and the swell of the crowd, and it was like as if they sucked the ball into the goal, you know, more so that's, than the player. That's what Shankly said. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, cocks. great minds and all that. Yeah, great minds. Yeah, exactly. Um, how, for me, I think this is one of the lesser talked about. I mean, obviously, it's a very emotive subject. I mean, the reason. Uh, we all know as as to why it had to become seating, and of course it's a very emotive subject. But if you think about the a way that the way that the seated cop didn't quite has never really had the same magic. It seems. I mean, I I remember we watching it on TV. I can imagine live when you see throughout the 70s, the 80s, these glory days mm. for the players, whack a goal in and thousands yeah. of fans yeah, yeah, yeah. swarming towards... Like a light switch. Yep. Absolutely amazing. How did it affect Liverpool, this losing, this standing cop? Massively, because my, my point about, as we're going to approach this subject later on, about the, the, the decline of Liverpool and all the years of misery, is down, for me, is down to psychology. And the problem with all of it was never a question of luck or bad luck. It was always a question of psychology. And the psychology of Liverpool in the 80s was absolutely phenomenal. It was just a machine. And they, if there was somebody going to get a bit of luck, it was Liverpool, which means it's not luck. There's something else in play. It's a winning psychology. And Liverpool in Saturday afternoons or whatever, Sunday, whatever it was, it was they had a winning mentality. They, they were confident. They oozed confidence and they just knocked out wins which uh, when you took away the cop and other elements into place as well, it led to a bad psychology for me. And Sunus was part of that bad psychology. There was, there was just, you could feel the confidence seep out. Well, that's a very good answer. Um, it wasn't all bad news that season. Uh, as an 18-year-old scouser called Robbie Fowler made his debut and he famously scored five goals in one of his first matches in the League Cup against Fulham. Uh, and he finished the season with 18 goals in all competitions. Do you remember the young Fowler breaking through? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, yeah. He was phenomenal. Uh, he was he was the same period that United had Ryan Giggs, more or less. Mm-hmm. And he ha- he came along and I remember he scored a hat-trick in one of his first games and he was just a sensation and he was they were always comparing him to Ian Rush but um, he was you know he was Toxted I think he's from no Toxted indeed yes I used to live there oh wow stories not that I can repeat <laughs> lots yeah. of uh, they're the best they're the best off mic off mic off off mic yeah I mean there's a lot of yeah no I can't possibly yeah. say yeah um, okay all right, let's move on. Let's let's let's, let's move on from these stories of my past. Um, ninety six, ninety seven, we got eleven points from our first five games. Draw, win, draw, win, win. So a summary, quick summary of uh, ninety six, ninety seven season. Um, 
This is from Wikipedia, just straight up. Liverpool led the Premiership for much of the season and established a five-point lead at the top before New Year's Day 1997, before it all went tits up. That's not on Wikipedia, that's just me. Um, We were marred by both the rise of the Spice Boys culture, as it says on Wikipedia, I'm not sure about that, as well as by defensive aberrations. I think that's more... More, you know, more the problem is just that defence was was very leaky. And we dropped points, um, for example, the 2-1 home defeat against bottom-of-the-table Coventry City, which denied Liverpool the chance to return to top spot with six games to go. Indeed, a win over United at Anfield in April would have put Liverpool top with just three matches to go. But United won 3-1. They ended up winning the league. And this situation, uh, because Liverpool actually buggered it up so badly on the final day, we finished fourth. Incredible. It is incredible. We're leading all the way and then we end up finishing fourth. And it led to this expression, finishing fourth in a two-horse race. Beautiful. Beautiful. But anyway, that's a, that's pretty depressing, isn't it? Do you remember any of that, David? I'd, I'd actually blocked a lot of that out. I remember? Oh, I remember it so well. And I disagree with you. It, it was more the spice by mentality than the defence. Because it, the spice by that image, that when they showed up with those white suits, it, it perfectly captured what probably would have sailed under the radar, which was the, the pee-poor mentality of the Liverpool squad their flashiness, their their weak psychology. No, I disagree. I disagree because that, they turned out that was the cup final in 96. So this is the season after that. This is 96-97 where, you know, after that they got slated, slated by everybody for those Rightly white suits. Rightly so. I mean, they're not, I don't know, they're just suits. I don't know. For me, the more important thing is what happens on the pitch. And when you have... You have no defensive midfielder. You have defenders like McAteer, Bjornaby, uh, you know, central midfield. You could just kick it through us. We had John Barnes. Um, you know, we, we didn't have a, a strong player, which is why we ended up buying Paul Ince, but that didn't work out either for the, for the season. Passes prime. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think we just lacked a bit of defensive solidity. And Phil Bav, I mean, had he been able to play more than one world-class game, <laughs> we could be sitting here only sort of 21 years after our last league title instead of 28. Anyway, the last two seasons we're going to look at uh, in this recap of our best ever starts. Uh, they're both Rafa Benitez years, the 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 sort of fourth and fifth best start we ever had. But it's equal because they also got eleven points in oh seven oh eight. Win draw win win draw eleven points. New transfers for that season out of interest: uh, Voronin, Yossi Benayoun, Fernando Torres, Ryan Babel, Lucas, Charles Itanji the reserve goalkeeper, Sebastian Leto, who was a winger, never quite made it, and Damien Plessis. Um, on the opening day of that season, we beat a good Villa side away 2-1. Who played in our 4-4-2 formation that day? <gasps> 2007-8. Go for Torres up front. Torres up front. The goalkeeper's easy as well. Rafa Benitez, era goalkeeper. So uh, Pepe Reina in goal. And then the back four. Steve Finnan, Daniel Agger. Carragher. Carragher, of course. Gent. 
a gent, and Arbeloa. Arbeloa, of course. Of course. Fine player. Moving, Fine into, player. The, moving into the midfield, 4-4-2 formation. Obviously, midfield. Midfield is, uh, you've got, oh, that was a good midfield. The central midfield, you've best got, in the world. Uh, you've got Stephen Gerrard. Yes. Um, the weakest link. Then you've got Xavi. The weakest link. You Did always you? say these things. You chuck yeah. these things in and then you try and move on. But I'm it's true. You it's true. That. Stephen Gerrard, the weakest link yeah. in the Liverpool team. Explain yourself. <laughs> I was joking. It was tongue in cheek. Oh, it was okay. tongue in cheek. Oh, well, that's okay. Then I figured. Xavi. Xavi Alonso. Xavi Alonso. Good. They were the two central midfielders. Right. Now, out wide, on the right, you had a guy who apparently was partial to Jack Daniels tattooed guy okay not a guy that you would probably invite to your barbecue if you had a barbecue was he Welsh he wasn't Welsh he was English winger right winger not as good as he thought he was I like the sound of this guy (laughs) so he was tattooed English not barbecue worthy Right? Um, and yeah, okay. And not as good as he thought he was. I'm at a loss, sorry. Jermaine Pennant. Okay. Just... Do you remember? I don't. You don't even remember? No, no. <gasps> there you go. And on, um, on the left was a, normally a left back, but he was played left midfield that day. And he um, he's Norwegian. Ooh. Thunderbolt of a left foot. Ooh. John Arnavisa. Okay, of course. Arnavisa, of course. And then up front we had Torres and the Dutch Duracell bunny, Dirk Kout. Oh, the wonderful Kout. Oh, yeah. Probably after Barnes, my favourite Liverpool player. Oh, okay. Fair enough. No, you're laughing now. You didn't <laughs> like Dirk. In fact, I think part of my brain is confusing Lucas with Dirk Kout. I think Dirk Kout was probably the worst player I've ever seen. He was so bad. He was so bad. And then when he left Liverpool, people went, yeah, he was pretty bad, all right. Like Glenn Johnson, everybody thought he was great. And then they realised, oh no, he's actually really bad. If you want to send your insults in to David, it's coponpodcast at gmail.com. He would probably be delighted to be... No, I wouldn't. Peace and love to everybody. But what do you mean, Dirk Dirk Cout? Dirk Cout, I'm sure, is a lovely man. I'm sure he's a a trier. Gotta love a trier. Yeah. He gave everything for the club. He scored some great goals. That hat-trick against United that, you know, was from one yard. Yes. Shot. That was wonderful. Great times. We had some great times with Dirk. Yeah. Yes. I wasn't there. I wasn't in the aftermatch and uh, <laughs> celebrations. <laughs> That's very cruel. Okay. So what did we do that season? We we had uh, lost the Champions League final to Milan and we needed to bounce back. Um, and we had a pretty good season, although it was ultimately quite frustrating. We ended up finishing fourth in the league. We got knocked out of the FA Cup in the fifth round and the League Cup in the quarterfinal. In the Champions League, we again did very well, but we succumbed to Chelsea um, in, you know, it was unfortunate that we lost, but it was a bit of a classic 4-3. Uh, Chelsea went on to, it was amazing, that, that wow. Chelsea, uh, that was in the semi-final, and Chelsea went on to lose the final on penalties to the scum. Man United. And uh, in some ways, actually, David, I don't know if you'd agree with me on this, I'm quite glad that we lost that semi-final against Chelsea because... At that time, painful as it is to admit, I think Man United were 
you know, a better team. And had we lost to Man United in the final, there would still be a hole in my head where the rain got in. Perfect example of the fear of failure that permeates Liverpool. Oh, interesting. This is a, this is symptomatic of the fans. The, the fans problem, and, and, and the, the pundits and, and, yeah, and the manager. Exactly. The fear of failure. Yeah. So in, instead of saying, okay, let's go and take it to the scum, let's wipe them off our streets. It's like, no, let's lose to the, the flower show in the semi-final in a great match, in a great match, and be happy with that. I'm not happy with you it. Were ha- you just, I, just, I recall you just said, I'm actually preferred because prefer you f- it, yeah. rather than go toe-to-toe with the man, he said, let's go and, you know, no, 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 I think it's a wrong approach. I think you have to, I think um, one of the things is that if, over the years in all of these things is the psychology of the club. It was a poor psychology. You didn't have enough winners. You being Liverpool? Yeah. Okay. We didn't have enough winners. I prefer yeah. that phraseology. Yes. Not enough Not enough hardcore mentality. But it's true that the United had a great team and maybe um, defeat was on the cards. But I still think it's better to... I just, I'm purely looking at it in a, in a sort of probability. From a probability angle, purely statistical probability, Man United would have been the odds-on favourites with the bookies, for example, the impartial bookies. They would have all of their supercomputers working everything out. United would have been favourites for a reason, because I think they were, you know, unfortunately, as I say, a stronger team, and the results showed that. Um, But, so I'm just saying from that point of view, obviously, had we won the final against Man United, they would, you know, I would still be, I, I might be a different person. You probably would. I, I think it was the turning be, point. Yeah, I probably would have worked out. It was a sliding doors moment. Years. You know, I wouldn't have eaten so much cake. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd be, a, you know, a slimmer, fitter. Slimmer, fi- yeah, yeah. Maybe. Content, pipe. So, okay, 2008, 2009, we had a very unusual summer we brought in listen to this for a transfer window philip dagan do you remember him jamie oh carragher would shout at him you know all every time i hear or think of the dagan i just hear carragher go dagan dagan in this kind of really you know manic way philip dagan andrea dosena of course yeah Diego Cavalier rolled off the tongue. Yeah. Uh, Robbie Keane. Oh my God, this and was. Albert Riera. Oh my God, we were flush with money that year. Well, I think that was horrible, wasn't it? That was when uh, things started going really bad. I remember the Robbie Keane signing. Um, and I remember thinking that's like a, that's a very bad omen. Not that he's a very bad player, he's not a bad player, but he's the kind of player that typified a lot of. Clubs that, you know, it's the, the, I call it the musical chairs approach mm-hmm. to football, where you have a manager, you, you just buy players that are cooked or mercenaries. And, you know, I, I, but he, of course, Robbie Keane was a, Liverpool was his boyhood club, I think, you know, as was Leeds and Aston Villa. <laughs> and, and Inter Milan. And, but, uh, yes, um, Yes, okay. And and as for the rest of them, I mean, do you, I don't know. There's not there's not much to to shout about then. I think that was when um that was when uh you know, things started going really badly with the owners. Um that season, we began the season in 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 great form. We won 8 of our first 10 matches before losing against Tottenham. 
Ooh. Then they picked up. Um, we we picked up our form after the after this loss, and uh, a five-one victory over Newcastle at the end of two thousand and eight uh, meant that we were top going into the new year again. And then three successive draws in the new year meant that Manchester United of all teams caught up with us and then a 2-0 loss at the end of February to the mighty Middlesbrough mm, that was a good Middlesbrough team it was a huge loss for us um, and uh, basically despite winning 10 of the final 11 matches incredible in- including a 4-1 victory over Manchester United and if you remember that that same week we beat Real Madrid 4-0. Of course. Uh, the run was not enough and we finished four points behind them in second place. Mm. Where did it go wrong for Liverpool? Was that that season? Was that mentality again? Yeah, mentality again, psychology. And I know you're a big fan of uh, Rafa, but for me, the Rafa approach is, it's, it's a very peculiar thing to observe because he's not like Rodgers. Rodgers could build a team that would it was very macro based it wasn't micro based and they would win and win and win and then when he would lose confidence the team would go from being you know brazil of 1970 to aston villa of any season and in the case of um rafa it was always seemed to be that they would win they would pull off wins a little bit like Mourinho for me i know you don't like that association but it was always like it was coming from his mind and sometimes it was wonderful uh, but then you'd have these strange results. Whereas the scum had this kind of very, very, it was like a factory. They knew exactly how to approach every game. They were always themselves and they were very hard to, you know, their approach was different. So for me, it was, again, it's, it, he did very well, Rafa, but it was always, if he'd stayed for the last, say, 10 years, it wouldn't have got better, in my opinion. It would have always been down to his genius, which is the, the, the good and the bad of the guy. Well, it's a very interesting point. Again, send your complaints to coponpodcast.gmail.com. <laughs> but, um, okay, so now we've looked look back at the, the other best starts we've ever had. If we think about this team, how it compares, and if you think about, like you were saying, the mentality of this team, how does it compare? I think it's similar to 2008, 2009, which is a good thing because... They went pretty close. You have, for me, again, uh, send your complaints to copon.com. At gmail.com. At gmail.com. But for me, Liverpool have two to three psychologically very good players. Uh, two of them happen to be African. One of them is Keita and the other is Salah. And a lot of the other players, they might be good players, but I don't think they're the kind of players that will step up if it gets gets very serious. Can I give you three words? Sure. That? Virgil yeah. van Dyke. <laughs> Perhaps van Dyke too. Yeah, Ver- van Dyke, Keita, and Salah. But I wouldn't... As I said, in the Liverpool team of 2008-2009, you had a... And two, the previous season, you had a lot of kind of strong players psychologically like um, Xavi and uh, maybe Carragher. And, but we will see. But I think, yeah, it's, it's a good... It's a good team. But uh, for me, the, 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 the whole point of the podcast this evening was about the beginning. And for me, the, the match, the season starts this Saturday at 1.30. Mm. Thank you so much to David Power there. And of course, he's right. 1.30 is the kickoff time here in Paris. Although time is a slippery 
beast, and it's 12.30 in London. And how are the Hotspurs feeling about all this? Let's find out as we get the view from the opposition. This time I was enraptured to be joined by Flav from The Fighting Cock Podcast. You can find them at thefightingcock.co.uk. Just don't let your auntie look at your browsing history. Or if you're worried about your relations, you can just look them up on Facebook. Here it is. So, Flav, thank you so much for joining us. You've played four. You've got nine points scoring nine goals and conceding four. On a scale of one to ten, how would you rate your season so far? Um, I think it's uh, you know, like around a seven or, or eight. Um, obviously, the defeat against Watford was disappointing, um, but they are a good team this year. One won four on the bounce now. Um, very strong, very physical. They know their, their limitations, but they also know where they excel. And, and on that day, they more than deserved to beat Tottenham. Um, the other results that we got this year were, were, were fairly decent, fortunate against Newcastle somewhat. But um, given the fact we signed no one and everyone was writing us off saying that we've done no business in the, champ, um, in the transfer window, we've, uh, we've had a pretty good start to the season. Yeah, I mean, do, do you think that will make a difference further down the line, maybe, the fact that you didn't uh, make any transfers? I don't... I mean, maybe, compared to... If you compare that... Uh, sorry, if you consider also that a lot of our players went very deep into the World Cup, so there may be some issues around fitness. But I, I'm not sure. I, uh, these are elite athletes, and their bodies are uh, like you know a peak physical condition. Um, I think uh, uh, I, I'm not really worried about that at this stage. Uh, Winks and Moore have come back. Uh, well, Winks has come back, and Moore has come into the team. One Player of the Month this year, uh, this month. Um, you know, these, that's essentially, in terms of bodies in the squad, like two new signings. And I'm not, and that's a bit of a cliche, but these are players that weren't playing last year and they've come back in out of error or two. So if you look at it like that, um, there's three extra bodies that are playing in our squad that weren't playing last year. So, you know, if we brought in three players, this wouldn't even be anything that anyone was talking about, I don't think. Well, that's a very good point, yeah. Um, and uh, what's going on with your stadium, Flav? It, um... <laughs> How long you got? Uh, so it's um, uh, you know everybody knows that we should have been in there for the Liverpool game Um, there seem to be problems with the circuitry that we can't get a safety certificate to open the stadium don't know how big the problem is Um, obviously you can imagine the amount of circuits that are in that stadium that you can't muck around with this sort of stuff if it's a fire risk we've seen the tragedies in various stadiums through the years and specifically the um, the Bradford one uh, you know that was down to, uh, you know, I mean, different time and different age, but, you know, it's down to safety ultimately and the infrastructure that the stadium is built around. So, you know, you can't muck about with this sort of stuff. We have to make sure that everything's right before moving in there. Um, as it stands, I think um, there's rumours that it will be January. Some stories coming out saying we won't get in this season at all. So, uh, very frustrating. Um, obviously, massive issues with people that have bought season tickets in good faith. Uh, now having to uh, get claim refunds for the tickets they don't want, go to Wembley and you know uh, look at the prospect of playing another game away from home. We've got this debacle of having to play a game at MK Dons against uh, Watford in the League Cup. So it's it's not great, but it was a massive undertaking. I mean, there's been a lot of criticism for, for Daniel Levy and the board, but I think 
you know, a, a construction of this magnitude, the biggest in the in the UK, um, there is always going to be issues, and it was massively um, optimistic in order to, to to think that we could actually do that in under a season, or, or just over a season rather than a year. So, you know, it took Arsenal four years to build their ground. So, from the moment they they broke ground to the moment that they they play football there, so it, it was a massive undertaking. You know, the additional issue is that I had to take down the old stadium as well. It wasn't just a flat, flat piece of land. You know, it's a, a massive job in a very confined space. So look, this, it's just unfortunate, but you know, we move on. We have good form at Wembley last year. We've had some excellent results, not least against Liverpool. So um, you know, we we can uh, we can. It won't affect our form, I don't think. But everybody just wants to be home now. Do you know what I mean? It's been away for a long time. We play at Tottenham. It's important that we play where the, the foundation of the club was was built. Um, you know, so it's in eighteen eighty two. We we played out at Tottenham, and to be away from this long isn't great. Well, yes, absolutely. Um, did, will it have any kind of financial repercussions? The fact that you're losing so much in in gate receipts, or, or not really. Absolutely, completely, yeah. I mean, that's part of the reason I think that we weren't very active in the transfer market. You know, we could have spent, uh, if we hadn't had these things, I think it wouldn't have been un- completely unlikely that we wouldn't we would have spent around between 50 and 100 million on players, I'd imagine. But, you know, what we got, it cost us to play at Wembley. Um, it, you know, there's gate receipts coming in there, but we have to pay a huge fee to, um, to the FA to use the ground. Um, then there's uh, the costs that are ongoing, and building a stadium that that isn't ready, so we're kind of it's overrun, and there's, every day there's costs going in. So, yeah, there's there's a massive issue financially there as well. But you know, Spurs are a very very valuable and rich football club with huge turnover. It's an issue that we it will, be, it will affect our transfer budgets, but. I mean, there's no risk of it not getting done or, in, or having massive negative impact on the club. Yeah, well, that's that's something. And it, I mean, it does look spectacular. I mean, the designs and, you know, when it is done, best of luck for it. You know, especially I feel so much for your fans with the, with the tickets who, you know, are now in uh, all sorts of bother. So, you know, good luck with all that, really. Um Moving on to, uh, to the weekend then, to the match itself. Um... I mean, after Watford, Pochettino was very disappointed. He said, uh, I'll quote, we need to show more respect to this competition and compete much, much better. It's difficult for me to understand. It was very painful. I think it's a good wake-up call for everyone. So with with those words, you know, ringing in the ears of the players, do you reckon he'll go for the same team? What what kind of lineup and formation do you think Pochettino will go for? Uh, I think he. I, I think it's a different test uh, against Liverpool. Um, I anticipate us playing three at the back with Alvaro, Vertonghen, and Sanchez in that side, um, which will enable us hopefully to to counter and be secure. Because obviously Liverpool are the best attacking team in the league. They have been for two years or a year maybe, but you know probably for, for longer than that as well. So it's a really exciting. How do you hold back Salah and um, Mane and Firmino to play such a beautiful and an exciting brand of football that um, it, you, you have to do something tactically in order to negate that. It ain't about us just going out and playing our game, I don't think. We have to be respectful of what Liverpool are, are about. And um, to do that, I don't think that means us playing four at the back. So I think we have three at the back. Um, Son's back uh, from his... Um, his escapades in the Asia games 
Um, but if we play through at the back, he's, he's, I'm not sure where he fits. This is the issue. And part of the reason why Adebayo didn't play last year is because Son was on fire and um, Sanchez was playing well. I knew a young centre-back from Ajax we bought. So it was, it's, it's a case about fitting the in, but there's options. And if, you know, if it isn't working and Liverpool are on top, then we can change to uh, a, a, a four... Uh, 3-3 or 4-2-3-1 or, or so I don't know I mean I'm I'm nervous about the game I think Liverpool I think I, I, I hate to say it because I mean <laughs> I've just met you but I'm not I'm not a massive fan of Liverpool they've always be honest that's totally okay you can you can tell tell me you know vent vent your anger it's absolutely fine <laughs> uh, it's not anger it's just um, I don't know I, I think we've been going for the same sort of levels haven't we, we, we we've been in and amongst each other um, there was the build-up the last year about the race of the Golden Boot, which you know, side Spurs fans obviously behind Harry Kane, and that was a very tempestuous game at Anfield that ended two all. Um, which kind of I think there was a lot of I, I won't say it's a rivalry, but it, it's there's an undercurrent of disdain I think from both both sets of fans. Um, so, and I think that just exists when you are competing on a similar level. Um, I'd, yeah, it's hard to put a finger on it, really, because Tottenham fans won't admit to, to considering Liverpool as a rivalry, and, and or, or even if the rivalry exists, and I, I think Liverpool fans, most in the majority, are the same. We don't see each other as a rival, but then there's been on the pitch stuff that's been going on, and the, dive, the diving accusations at, at Kane, and the kind of a lot of it, it happened through social media as well. I think. I mean, the match day going fans are probably less aware of it, but on Twitter it was kind of it was quite. Um, there's a lot of back and forth, basically. Um, but, but well, yeah, because that's the thing for me. I mean, I don't, I don't really see it. I've, I, I mean, I've got a lot of respect for Tottenham. I think uh, if you compare to our, our other rivals, even in the top six, I mean, Tottenham's my my favourite team of the of the rest. Uh, but uh, but yes, oh, like you say, naturally, if we're both competing for top four, maybe even the league this year, then yes, I mean, this naturals. There's a sense of rivalry that goes with that, but um, I mean, you know, you're in no way on the on a par with uh, Everton or Man United, as far as Liverpool fans are concerned. <laughs> no, absolutely. But, I mean, but, I know not, and yeah. nor Liverpool with uh, you know Tottenham, Chelsea, West Ham, uh, or Arsenal. So uh, no, I'm, yes. it's not that. It isn't that level of rivalry. It's just um, there's just something there at the moment. I think, and um, I think probably. The more we compete, and the more uh, uh, you know, the, 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 these games are hard fought and bring with them their own storylines. The, the the longer it will go on, I should imagine. Well, okay, but I, I for one, will, shall keep my respect for Spurs, um, no matter what happens. Um, I, I think they probably will win the league this year. Um, really. I was going to ask you about that because it's difficult to see, you know, from the inside, us Liverpool fans, we think we're great. And, uh, you know, this season we're, we're, you know, we're really optimistic, but, but it's hard to see from the outside. So you, you honestly think we, ha- we have a chance? Yeah, I think you do. I, I think um, they're a, a brilliant last year. Um, you know, it was Man City were an anomaly and, and what, as good as they are and will continue to be, I don't think that they'll find the league as easy this season. You know that uh, um, Klopp seems to have one over on Guardiola. His record against him is very good. Uh, last season, played them off the park at their own game. So you can't look at that with, with anything other than, you know, respect and... and um, 
an acceptance of what, what Liverpool are about this year and have been since Klopp started building, really. So, um, on a, in a footballing sense, they're an amazing side to watch. And I think they, they probably are probably are the best team in the, in the league at the moment. Now, when the season started, I didn't think that. I thought that Manchester City would be way too good. Uh, they would win the league at a canter. But um, I'm not sure if this kind of third season syndrome somewhat that, that kind of occurs around the world of football, that that instinct, that, that drive to win football matches and win league that you need, other than it's not just the case of having the greatest players, they've got to have the right attitude. And sometimes winning actually causes an element of an inertia. So um, it'd be interesting to see. I think it'd be between Liverpool and Man City for sure. Yes, OK. Not, not Chelsea, because they look good so far. With their midfield, Jorginho looks amazing. Yeah. Sorry plays some um, incredible football as well. He did at Napoli and had a great side, but didn't actually get it over the line. And, you know, whereas Klopp's won trophies before, I know he also has an issue with getting over the line and, and you know, losing in finals and did the year before in Europa League and obviously last year in the Champions League. So there's an issue there. I, I think the sign of Van Dijk was key. Um, you know, it's... Uh, he he's transformed your defence, and what Klopp's done is look look at his side, look at where he needs to strengthen, and bought the players accordingly. You know, Kater is another one. Even start the other day, and you think player of his quality, he's not starting. Um, you know, look at how strong your squad is, and then Vice as well. Um, as I said, you know, came in, plugged the gap. The defence has been transformed since he came in, so you know he's doing the right thing. Klopp. Well, it's nice to hear from a from a Liverpool fan's perspective. But yeah, OK. What about Pochettino then? I mean, how secure is he in his job? It's a horrible thought, you know, to think about Pochettino leaving Spurs. You know, it must be a horrible thought for you. It's like us thinking of Klopp leaving Liverpool. I mean, it's a really horrible thought. But, but if and when it, it does happen, I mean... Well, can you see it happening soon? No, if not at all. Just literally, just signed a new five-year deal. Um, I think he'll. Uh, I think he's the longest-reigning manager in the Premier League. I think he'll continue to be there at Spurs. He's talked very openly about the connection he has with the club now. Um, he's built the team in his image. Uh, it's transformed us completely from a kind of really a club in a bit of a massive transition. From um, you know Redknapp to to uh, to to to, to um, AVB to Sherwood, so you know we we've gone through a massive transitional period from going close in under the Redknapp era to to where we are now with Pochettino. Um, so it's 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 not something he's going to leave. You know he, he talks about the only way he'd leave Tottenham would be for three clubs, PSG where he captained them, um, Real Madrid. And there was old boys, boyhood club. So he's already turned down the chance to uh, to join Madrid. It was clear that they were interested in taking him. So I feel like he feels that he's got a, he's got a job to do here, and, and that's winning leagues and trophies. And he strikes me as a man, and what he said as, as someone who who won't leave until he's achieved that, or unless he's pushed. So you know, we all love him. Uh, I hope he doesn't leave. I hope he stays around for. A, Long enough to destroy his own legacy is what we say on our podcast. You know, it's um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's it's like in the if it's, 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 it's football clubs are so often so quick to to get rid of the managers and fans alike to kind of throw managers under the bus as soon as a couple of results don't go your way. But he's such he's got such a good relationship with Levy that I can't see that happening. I think he's going to be around for a while. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, I hope so for your sake. I mean, he is a brilliant manager. Um... 
I just, I, you know, I look because I, I actually live in Paris and uh, I know a little bit how Paris Saint Germain works because I've I've worked there actually for a little bit. But it's a, it's a, it's a very demanding club, um, and this season I, you know, usually if, I think if Thomas Tuchel, I don't know how to pronounce it, sorry, Tuchel, uh, if he if he um, doesn't succeed this year and PSG are looking for another manager and if, for example, Spurs do well again this season, then um, yeah, he'll be on their league, for sure. Yeah. yeah, he would be and and uh, that would be fine. Um, they've got the money to compensate Spurs accordingly. It cost them an absolute right. fortune to do. But uh, um, uh, my feeling, and I could be wrong, is that Pochettino's style of management and what he does, it has done at Southampton, but Spurs beforehand, um, to, requires time and patience. Um, yeah. And it's not something you get at clubs like PSG and Real Madrid, unless they're having a, you know, they're, they're doing so poorly, like they're 10th or 11th, and he can just come in and all he has to show is signs of improvement. But yeah, it's, um, uh, they, they want to be winning leagues and, and, and winning Champions Leagues. You know, but it's, the fact that they won. The fact that they won the um, sort of treble last year isn't almost that a huge uh, uh, an achievement um, because of the money and the financial doping, if you like, um, that's gone into that club. Yeah, um, yeah okay. Um, uh, going back to the weekend then, okay. Okay, we, did, we didn't quite finish the, the formation. Let's say he goes three at the back. With the three that you said, then it, then it would be Trippier at right back, Danny Rose at left back. Uh, think, probably be Ben Davies. Actually. Ben Davies, right. okay. Yeah, Ben Davies will, will start Trippier on the right. Um, okay. Then you you'd probably have uh, well, it'll be it'll be Ericsson, Deli Ali, and I don't know Kane up front as well, obviously. Uh, okay. And then Dembele in midfield. He, he's been, I don't know, he didn't work against Watford, and uh, that was kind of alarming. So I'm not sure what he's going to do, really. I think it's important to play three at the back, but um, I think we need two people in midfield that, that are going to um, try to destroy the game, and like Dyer and Dembele are probably the two that would work best. Yes, okay. Okay, so I mean, in terms of players that are off form for you, I mean, Dembele, was it just that one game or was it? Uh, yeah, he was particularly poor in that game, wasn't he? Um, uh, I mean, we thought he was going to leave. It looked like he'd kind of bit done last season. Um, he's played relatively well in the other games. He, you know, the first two games he played well in. And the thing is, when he's on the pitch, if he's playing well, then um, then we, we, we perform well. You know, we do well. If he's playing poorly, then it's very difficult. Uh, and he has been he has been very bad in uh, against Watford. He was uh, he hit the ball away. He was getting out muscled by by players that see, were seemingly stronger than him. And that's great. His forte is holding on to the ball and shielding it. Uh, it's impossible to get the ball off. Two years ago, he just gave him the ball and, and it enabled other players to gamble and push forward because they know that he would not lose it, lose it, and he would recycle the ball. So um, you know that part of his game is. Uh, lacking somewhat, and it might be down to the fact his body's older, and he, um, you know the, the demands of the game will always be there, but his body won't always be able to compete, uh, you know, against those demands. So, um, yeah, he's the issue. If he plays well, and, and we've seen even last season, there was a, a purple period. He had four or five games where um, we had great results against Juve and Real Madrid, and, and uh, um, 
uh, and Arsenal, and he was phenomenal. So if he can recapture that form in these key games, I think that might show um, uh, a different side to, to the Tottenham that we saw against Watford. Just a couple more questions then. It's, it's an early kickoff. Do Spurs usually do well when starting early? I don't think... I've never noticed it, to be honest. We've been consistently decent for three years. So when when you're kind of finishing second, first... Oh, sorry, not first, Jesus, that would be great. Uh, second, third and third, I think it was, that, um, you know, you don't really suffer. There's no, there's no dips in form based on the time. You don't recognise these things because you're winning or drawing the majority of your games. So I don't think it's a factor, to be honest. Yeah, OK, great. And um, finally, what's uh, what's the score going to be? I think it will be 3-2 to Tottenham. And that's bold, very bold, given how good Liverpool's defence has been. But um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not 100% confident, to be honest. But I think it'll be a high-scoring game. We like to attack. Liverpool love to attack. So um, I think there'll be goals in it, like you know, last year. There was five goals at um, Wembley and then there was four uh, and a missed penalty uh, against... Um, was there a missed penalty? I might have got that wrong. Uh, Anfield. So, you know, there's always goals in these two games. Um, excellent. Well, thank you so much. Um, you've been absolutely brilliant to talk to. Um, is there any, anything you would like to plug? Obviously, you're, you're from the Fighting Cox podcast. Yeah, Fighting Cox podcast. Yeah, Liverpool fans are not going to really enjoy it, I don't think. But um, I should have to say that, that we have got a couple of fans from Liverpool that do listen to it. They must have picked it up and listened to a preview to the game or whatnot the previous season and they stuck with us because, well, well, obviously we talk about football. What is it? We've been going eight years now. This is our eighth season, rather. And um, it's really just a, a four or five mates that sit around the mic, have a beer, have a talk about football, but talk about other bits and pieces as well. And, and I think that's why our podcast is popular is because it isn't just about recycling football content there's something more to it so you know it's an interesting listen it's not for everybody it often upsets people some of the stuff we talk about but um you know it is what it is it's what we are and it's what we love doing so so indeed do check out the fighting cock podcast if you're that way inclined and thank you so much again to flav for joining us And so, as the clock heaves its heavy hands slowly towards Saturday lunchtime and the start of a wonderfully intense period of footy for our beloved Reds, it's time to call an end to this, our sixth episode. Thank you so much to Anchor.fm, Player.fm and especially the marvellous LFC.me for all of their podcast support. Most importantly, thanks to you, the adored listener. I adore you. I adore you. Yes. As ever, feel free to stalk us on Twitter, at CopOnPodcast, and send your hate mail, agony aunt queries, and requests for refunds to CopOnPodcast at gmail.com. Remember, it would be bloody lovely of you if you could show your support and... Remember, you can win prizes by going to patreon.com forward slash podcast. Finally, you may recall from episode five the somewhat psychic nature of my family. Firstly, my brother Beefy correctly predicted that Alison was about to make a huge blunder, and he did. And my nephew Alex did his best 
recall the octopus impression by correctly predicting the Leicester City score. I got back in touch with Alex, and he said, interestingly, intriguingly in fact, the Spurs game will finish 1-1. Put a monkey on it. <laughs>